Well, to be honest with you, uh, that last song, I mean, what else really needs to be said? Uh, as we sing praises to God, I, my hope and my sincere prayer for all of us is that they don't just become songs that are enjoyable to hear, but songs that are prayers to God Himself. And as we sing and as we pray and as we are about to go into God's Word, I, I just it's just a great reminder to know that we serve a God that is indeed glorious, a God that we can trust. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to look at uh, the idea of hope. I think hope is something that all of us would want to have. I don't know anybody who really wants to be hopeless, um, but there's hope that we need to talk about. Um, in this fallen world, as we look around us, I think it's fair to say that people are looking for hope. Everywhere you turn, everywhere you go, uh, people are looking for hope in this world. Uh, it seems to be in this fallen world where there's sin, disease, heartbreak, death, uh, all sorts of heartache and tribulations and trials and suffering and things that don't seem right, we, as a people, as a society, we desire to have hope. We want to hope for something. We see that even in the recent election and here coming up soon to our, pre- our president-elect coming in here in a week or so. And, and here's the, you know, we see this from both sides. This is not to get political, by the way. This is just to say, on both sides of the aisle, people thought they had their perspective of hope. If this person is elected, we have hope for this nation. If this person is elected, we have hope for this nation. Or vice versa, if such, such and such a person gets elected, then there's no hope for America. You heard that rhetoric a lot, and that's because, especially in our society, I would say, I mean, it extends the world that is looking for hope, but we see that in the political area. Like, if the right candidate, if the right cabinet, if the right Congress gets elected, then everything, we have hope again. And we've seen a new hope. And then we've also seen the other side where people are saying, well, now there is no hope. But here's the thing. Whoever would have won the election, the truth of the matter is, hope is not found in a politician. Hope is not found in a political party. Hope is not found in a country. Hope is found in God and God alone. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because we live in a world that is looking for hope Everywhere they can look, they are looking for hope and they are looking in all the wrong places. Whether it's politics or whether it's relationships, whether it's money, media, uh, alcohol, drugs, fame, friendship, you name it, love. People are looking for something in this life to give them hope. Because deep down inside this world that has been stained by sin, our hearts that have been stained by sin as people are crying out for hope in the midst of it. And yet I would say there are many people. Temporary hope is found in many ways, but it will not last. So in this fallen world, people are looking for hope, but temporary hope is found in many ways, but it will not last. All those things we talked about, it's temporary hope. But we need to have more than temporary hope that's not going to last, that gets us through the day, but won't get us through our life. We need hope that will last forever, eternal hope. 
And that's the title of today's message, Eternal Hope. Can we have hope that will never end, that begins now and will never end, and we don't have to base it on things or the temporary, but we can base it on the eternal. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look to God's Word. But here's the truth of us here sitting in this congregation. If you are a Christian, if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, you have committed your life to Him, and you, you are His and He is yours, if that is true of you, and you have accepted Him and you've given your life to Him, then there is one truth that we can hold on to that gives us ultimate hope. Where this world is searching for the hope, we can find it, and it's found in eternal life. And that's what we're going to talk about. I want to go to Titus first. If you go with me to Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 4 through 7. And this is what we read here in this passage. But when the kindness and the love of God our, Sa- uh, God our Savior towards man, I'm sorry, let me start again. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by His grace we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This passage is talking about what it means to be saved and we could could dive into this and see That look, Jesus, as God showed us kindness by sending Jesus to die for us and then the Holy Spirit to dwell with us, He did all that for our salvation. And it says the reason that salvation has been given to us as Christians is so that we will have what is called here at the end of this passage, the hope of eternal life. See, where the world looks for hope, we know where we can find hope. As Christians, our lasting hope is in eternal life. Titus 3, 4-7 through 7 tells us that, that the salvation that has been given through us through the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit allows us then to have the hope of eternal life. And once again, when we talk about hope, this is not a, a, a vain hope. Like, well, I hope it works out. No, this is a confident expectation. I think John talked about that last time he preached. That we have a confident expectation of what's coming. We know what we've been promised and we know it's coming. It's just that hope of waiting for it. We're waiting on what we already know, but it's still called hope. So we have the hope of what we know about eternal life. And here's the thing. Eternal life is this. Real life that starts now and goes on forever. See, let's not forget that eternal life isn't just some something way out there that is still yet to be grasped. What the Bible tells us we'll look at in just a minute is that eternal life starts now and continues on throughout our life. And that's what we're going to look at. Not even our life, but then goes on past our life. Continues on and on forever. That is the idea of eternal life. And if we have eternal life, then we can have eternal hope. So I want to look at three different hope, three different hopes that we can have today. Uh, as we sit here as Christians, what is the hope that we can hold on to in this world that is in turmoil, in this world where we don't know what's happening and we so desperately want hope? What is the hope that we can have? Well, first I want to talk about our present hope, the hope we have right today, where, where, right where we stand as Christians. And this little equation is what we're going to look at. Eternal life, like we just talked about, that eternal life that is our hope equals knowing God. Eternal life equals Knowing God. This is going to be an important concept that we understand going forward, and especially in what we're going to look at today. 
that our eternal life, that hope that we have, is based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Eternal life is found in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's in John 17, 1 through 3. John 17, 1 through 3. This is such a powerful passage. And I came across this, and honestly, it took, I didn't quite grasp this until I read this verse, and I started to understand what eternal life was all about. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, because we'll talk about this when we talk about heaven. But as a kid, you know, when I first came to know Jesus, or when I first came and I said the prayer to accept Jesus, I remember, I was young, my understanding was this. Hey, there's two options. I can go to hell, I can go to heaven. Hey, I'm not a dumb kid, I want to go to heaven. So I said a prayer. Now, through my life, my life has been developed and God has matured me and I have come to the place where I see salvation as a commitment, not just a rash decision based on me being selfish, okay? And that is important for us to understand. But what it took me so long to understand is that eternal life, heaven, that we talk about, it's not something, as I said earlier, that is something so far on the horizon that I don't even think about it now. It's just, I just need to trudge through this life. If I can get through this, then I can have eternal life with God. And I think a lot of us have that perspective. I just got to get through this terrible life, and then I will be able to have eternal life. But the truth of the matter is, is when we accept Christ, our eternal life starts right then. We don't have to wait until we die to go to heaven. Uh, we can have what you could say if you, want to coin the, if you want to use the phrase heaven on earth. But that heaven on earth is found in knowing God. That is eternal life. John 17, this is what we see. This transformed my thinking about eternal life. In, in uh, John 17, verses 1 through 3. And Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, these are Jesus' words himself as he prays to God the Father. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus himself defines eternal life. Notice here that Jesus does not say And this is eternal life that one day after they get through this world, they will be able to live in heaven. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they will know you and that they will know that you have sent me. So they will know God, that we will know God through Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. Now let's keep this in mind. When he talks about knowing God and knowing Jesus, this isn't just about, hey, I know about him. I know a lot about a lot of different people. It doesn't mean I actually know them. We've heard that before, right? I've got a lot of favorite athletes. I just got to watch the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. And I would say, you ask me some stats and I might know some things about the team, but I don't know anybody on the team. Okay, And the same thing is true of Jesus. Just because we say we know him up here and we know some facts about him, that's not what this is talking about. What Jesus is praying is that the eternal life that we experience is a real relationship, knowing you know, it's the same concept in the Old Testament. You know, you, you were told about knowing somebody. You know that that is, in most cases, when we read that, it's talking about intimacy, physical intimacy. And that's really what knowing here is. It's intimacy with God through a relationship that we can have. So Jesus came. He gave his life for us. The gospel, he gives his life. He rises again. We'll talk about that later. But in all of that, he does that so that we can know God. 
So we can have eternal life in our knowledge of Him, knowing Him in relationship. And so that's the first point we see. Eternal life is knowing God. But here's the, here's the other part about knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus and His power should be our focus. We're going to go over to Philippians chapter 3. You see, if we want to know God, that is eternal life, well then we should focus on it. If Jesus says, hey, this is eternal life, know God and know me, then therefore we should, as Christians, say, okay, well how does that work? How do I know Jesus? How do I know God? And we're going to go to Philippians chapter 3 for that. Philippians chapter 3, and this is a long passage. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm not going to be able to break it down as much as I could uh, or I'd want to. Uh, I'm hoping in a, in a... Okay. Well, um, the guitar didn't like my voice. Uh, um, all right, that was scary. Charlie, your uh, guitar needs some uh, attention, I think. Uh, anyway. So... I, I don't know. Maybe I'm moving around too much. Um, so here's the thing. Eternal life is found in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, what does that look like? Well, we need to focus on knowing Jesus. And so I'm going to read a passage now that's quite lengthy, but yet I'm going to break it down in a few different parts. I hope in the future I may be able to even uh, talk about this even more in depth. But for today's purposes, we're going to read and look at a few verses here in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, <clears throat> let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything, any of you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind." Brethren, join in following my example and note those who walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. As I said, I know this is a long passage. I just want to take a few pieces as we look at this concept of knowing Jesus should be our focus. We see in this passage that Paul is saying, look... <clears throat> If you go one couple verses beforehand to get a little bit of context, Paul lists all the things that he had in this world. His fame, his reputation, who he was. He was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. Everyone looked up to him. He had everything this world says can give you ultimate hope. 
If you want hope, it's fame, it's status, it's, it's all the things the world throws at you and says, you are everything. People were looking up to Paul. Paul was in a place of power. Paul was the guy. That's what he basically says. I am the man. And yet, even though he had all those things, what then he says is what we just read. But all those things, everything that this world says is important, I give it all up. I count it as loss. He actually says, I call it rubbish, or many of you know that that word is really dung. I count it as dung. I just want nothing to do with it. It's disgusting to me. I don't want to have anything to do with that life anymore. Instead, what does he replace? What the world says he should have, he replaces it with knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Knowing Jesus and his power should be our focus. This is what he's saying. And he says we must pursue Christ in this life. That is what Paul is begging saying what he is doing and asking us to do the same. And he's saying, look, pursue Christ, pursue knowing him, pursue understanding his sufferings, pursue understanding and knowing and developing our relationship with him. And as he goes on in this passage towards the end, he talks about those who don't know Jesus and how they try to fill their lives, their fulfillment comes, their hope comes through pleasure, through their bellies, through their shame, through doing things that are sinful and by being selfish and desiring their own pleasure, that's where they try to find their hope. But Paul says, no, don't do any of these things. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. That's what he says here in Philippians. Now, an interesting thing here, he doesn't say our citizenship will be in heaven, right? He says our citizenship is in heaven right now. It's in heaven now. And I believe when Paul says that, he's referring back to this idea of knowing Jesus that right now we stand in a relationship with God which is eternal life. We stand in this relationship that will never end with God. And therefore, Paul says that as our citizenship is in heaven, we wait and we know that Jesus, we we are knowing Him, but then he does say this thing at the end. He says we wait for Jesus to come back and restore our bodies. And so he says not only is there this present hope, but we're also going to be just a second looking at our future hope. So what Paul says, and we'll talk about this again right at the end of the, of, the, of the message, is this. That life is about knowing Jesus. It's not about status. It's not about pleasure. It's not about everything this world says is the things to, to go for. It's about knowing Jesus. Jesus himself tells us that eternal life is knowing him. You see, our citizenship is in heaven in the sense that we know Jesus now and will know him forevermore. We will have a relationship with him. That relationship that was broken by sin, now we can have again. And so Paul understood that. And that's why he says, look, don't live this life for the worldly pleasures that it offers. Instead, live your life for Jesus. Live your life looking to him, looking to Jesus. But then he does say at the end of here, he does, he does say, look, and as we do that, as we know Jesus and I pursue Jesus... Remember, we are waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. And so it says Jesus is going to one day give us this future sense of eternal life as well, that we will be restored, that we will be renewed, that we will be transformed. And that's where we go into point two of the sermon here is that not only do we have a present hope in the fact that we can know Jesus right now, we also have a future hope. And in future hope, though, I want to make one thing very clear, and that is... Here, heaven equals the presence of God. Heaven equals the presence of God. And you say, well, why are you saying that? Of course, you know, Jesus, you know, obviously God lives in heaven. Well, here's why I want to say this. This is just going to be a little bit of an aside. 
Uh, I have been to a few funerals lately. Uh, and uh, some in my own family, some that I've gone for others. And I've heard a lot of funeral sermons. And I've heard a lot in the past. And you know what? A lot of those sermons, what we end up hearing is this. We can have hope today because this person who is gone is now in heaven walking on streets of gold where there's no pain, there's no tears. And you know what? And it goes on and talks about all the things about heaven. Actually, the last one I heard talked about the whole new Jerusalem and how everything is going to be beautiful and how uh, God is going to make everything perfect and you're going to live in this beautiful city and it's going to be, you're going to be surrounded by beauty all the time. That is what heaven is. I've heard another guy recently preach about how heaven is going to be basically just like this except no sin. So like there's going to be sports, there's going to be, there's going to be all this thing. Our world is going to be basically the same. It's just going to have no sin in it. And the thing is, I don't under, by the way, as an aside, I don't know how you play sports when everybody's got perfect bodies, but that's a whole nother issue. I mean, it, nobody wins, right? It's a tie every time. So I don't know. <clears throat> but anyway, that's besides the point. But the focus of these sermons concerns me. The focus of these sermons is, look, this person has a hope in this physical place called heaven. And so you can have hope that one day you will walk on streets of gold and you will have jewels around you and you will have rivers flowing and there's going to be... And we get this image of heaven, like this glorious, beautiful thing, and like, that's where I'm going. And you know what the thing is? That is true. We are going to those, that place. But that's not the focus of heaven. The focus of heaven isn't the streets of gold. The focus of heaven isn't the beautiful jewels, the rivers that are flowing. The focus of heaven is not that we're going to be able to see our loved ones again. That is not the focus. As we look at scripture, the focus of heaven is one thing. And that is that in heaven, we are with God. That heaven is about our relationship with God. It's not about a place. You see, if we keep keep thinking about this place, I'm not saying there isn't a place, but what I'm saying is that's not the focus. And the thing is, when we think about the place, it's almost a selfish thing. Like when I was that kid that said, I want to go to heaven and not hell, like that was a selfish decision because, look, I don't want to be tortured. I want to walk on streets of gold and play a harp. Okay, that's what I want to do. Because uh, as a kid, that's what my thought process was. But here's the thing. How many of us may think that same thing? Are we finding our hope in a place that we're going instead of a person we're going to be with? That's the question that we've got to ask. I'm afraid many of us have had that thought. You see, I'm not just making this up, so let's get to Scripture, because right now I've just done a lot of talking. But I do want to, I want to go to Scripture. Uh, I want to go to John 14 to start with. And in John 14, there's this interesting passage. As I talked about funerals, um, this passage, I would say, is pretty much read in almost every funeral I've ever seen, ever been a part of. And yet, I think once again, it misses the point when people explain it. In John 14, beautiful passage, by the way. I love this passage. And if you know the the context of this, um, Jesus is about, he's going to be dying not too far from now. This is the Last Supper. And he's talking to Thomas, the guy who asks all the obvious questions and doesn't want to, is doubting everything. But yet, this is Jesus talking to the disciples. And and he's about to die. And here's what he's going to tell them. In, in chapter 14 of John. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go prepare a place for you, and if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. 
And then Thomas asked the question, Lord, how do we, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says in the famous verse, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, a lot of times when this passage is preached on or I hear it talked about, as you look at this, uh, and there's songs that are written about this. We sing one, we do a funeral home uh, service once, once a month over at uh, uh, Elderwood. And uh, they always sing, I've got a mansion over the, just over the hilltop. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. I don't know the whole song, I'm not going to sing it. Uh, but, and you know, everybody gets excited about that. But the, this passage, I would say, although Jesus is preparing a place, and it says it's a mansion, it's a room, however you want to translate that, the end of the verse, I think, is more important than the beginning. He says, I'm preparing a place for you to stay. But he says, look, the reason I'm doing that is I go prepare a place for you so that I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there may you also be. See, Jesus is pointing the the disciples to one key truth here. He's saying, don't be afraid. Yes, life's going to get tough, but I want you to understand, I'm going to leave this earth, but I'm going to be waiting for you so that we can be reunited, that our relationship can go on. That just because I die does not mean that you do not know me any longer. It does not mean that I am gone. It means I am waiting for you. It means, yes, I'm preparing a place, but that place is my presence. Jesus is preparing a place to be in his presence in John 14, 1 through 3. Jesus is preparing a place to be in his presence. There is hope in heaven. There is hope that God has prepared a place, a physical place that we will go. We will experience heaven, and that is a truth that we can hold on to, but let's not forget that the point of heaven is Jesus himself. That the relationship that we have on this earth with Jesus Jesus is going to be consummated and it's going to be completely that much better when we're there with him physically too. You see, Jesus is offering this. This is eternal life. You say, okay, that's good, but I mean, I read a lot about heaven and it sounds like a pretty cool place. Well, yeah, you do. And it's in Revelation 21. So let's turn over to Revelation 21 because there's another thing here that I want to see. See, so many times we just focus on what heaven's going to look like. You know, we think about that. Like, kids draw pictures of what they think heaven's going to look like. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, this is what I read. This is what we read. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then in verse 5, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. This is talking about the new heavens and the new earth. And a lot of times we talk about it and we can dissect all the dimensions of this huge city that comes down that God gives us to dwell in forever. But here's the point in chapter 21. What does it say? It says the whole point of this, the new heavens and the new earth coming, is for God to dwell with us. The new heavens and new earth will be a place where God dwells with us in Revelation 21, 1 through 3. 
Once again, a new heaven and new earth is something to look forward to. It's a true thing that's coming. But that is not the primary blessing of the future that we look forward to. The primary blessing that we have to look forward to is not a new heaven and new earth. The primary blessing is dwelling with God. God himself. You see, going back to what we've talked about in our present hope, that eternal life is knowing God, it starts now, we know him. We have a relationship that has been fixed uh, we broke that relationship through sin and now it's been fixed and we can know him here on this earth. But then once we die and once we go on or once he comes back again, we're going to have this great hope in the future that we can be with him physically, that we can experience him completely. And we can know God now and it goes on forever. So it starts now and never ends. And so we see our future hope is heaven, but remember that heaven is about the presence of God. So when we set our hopes on things, when we say, well, you know what, I just want to trudge through this life so I can get to heaven and experience all the blessings that are due me. Okay, that is not the, that is not the attitude that God wants us to have. He says, live your life now to know me, knowing that one day you will fully know me. And that is the, that is the hope that we have, that we will truly know the God who created us, who loves us, who's given everything for us. So if we have present hope and future hope, they come together to give us this eternal hope. And eternal hope is this very simply. Hope equals God himself. And I hope you've gotten to that point by now. That hope equals God himself. You see, it's dangerous to find our hope in anything else, even heaven, if we're looking at heaven in the wrong way. If we're looking at it as pleasures that we'll have forevermore. Although that's true, that's not the focus. And so we see that our ultimate hope comes from God himself. In every circumstance, God is our ultimate hope. I want to turn to a, just a fantastic passage. And I know I'm turning a lot, but the Bible has so much to say about hope. Lamentations. We're going to go to the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. Probably haven't been in Lamentations too often. But this is a passage that is fairly familiar. But while you're going there in, in Lamentations, chapter 3... The context of this is key. Jeremiah is writing this book. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because what Jeremiah had to do is come and he preached destruction to his people and then he watched Israel and Jerusalem be completely destroyed. Like, what kind of a bum job is that? Like, if, if my job was to come and preach to you and say, you know what, I just, you guys know, uh, the whole church, you guys are all getting, people are going to come in and they're going to just take you away from here. The building's going to be burned and, hey, that's great. And then I have to sit and watch it happen. This is Jeremiah watching his people, watching God's people that he ministered to, that he was told to warn, they are completely destroyed. And he's watched this. So the book of Lamentations is Jeremiah crying out to God and saying, why is this happening? God, why are you doing this? You are doing this and it's not right. It's not fair. I don't understand you. Why? Why? And he's weeping. He's crying out to God. I would even say he's angry at God at some points. And we see all this and we think, wow, Jeremiah, the prophet, he wasn't a good prophet, but the, he was a real person, right? And he's got these emotions. And that's what Lamentations is about. And I want to say as an aside, when things don't go right, it's okay to be upset, but don't stay there. And that's where we get to in in chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Lamentations, verses 22 through 24. Through the Lord's mercies we have not been consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, Therefore, I hope in him. 
Jeremiah has seen the worst of the worst. He's seen his people destroyed. He's seen complete destruction, God's people being judged for their sin. And as he watches and he cries out to God, even in the midst of his anger, his frustration, his confusion, he says, look, despite all of that, you are my portion and you are my hope. That's what Jeremiah says. And my, my thing is, is, our, is it going to be our hope? Is God truly our ultimate hope? When it seemed that God has turned his back, Jeremiah remembers in the worst of times that God is still faithful every single day and he puts his hope in who he knows God to be, the faithful one. And so therefore, no matter what our life holds, we have eternal hope. But that hope is not in, not in things. That hope is not even in a place that we're going. The hope is in God himself. So as we look to our life and we say, why is this world so messed up? Why is there so much going on? Why do we have to suffer? Why, why, why? Even in the questions, we can hope in him and know that he is faithful and he is doing what he is able to do. He is God himself. Um, We can also see this very same concept in the book of Psalms. And I do want to turn there this morning. We're just going to read these Psalms. I'm not going to talk about them too much in depth. But I think they kind of speak for themselves. Uh, Psalm 39 is where we're going to start. Psalm 39, verses 4 through 7. I just want you to listen to these words. Like I said, I'm not even going to explain them too much because just listen to what is written here in the Psalms. Psalm 39, starting in verse 4 through verse 7. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my ages as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best is but a vapor. Surely every man walks around like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. In the face of death, David had hope in God. Psalm 71 is our next one to look at. In Psalm 71... Psalm 71, verses 1 through 5. Psalm 71, 1 through 5. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I resort continually. You have given the commandments to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man, for you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. Once again, the psalmist here says, even in the worst of times, when people are coming against him, his hope is in God himself. And finally, I want to go to Psalm 33. Psalm 33, and I'm going to read the whole psalm here. It's a little long, but it's a beautiful psalm. Listen to what God says here. Listen to what the psalmist says as God has inspired him to write. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with the instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. 
For the word of the Lord is right, and his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them in the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap, and he lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his hearts, his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven and sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is in vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. Just let that sink in. This is a psalm of praise, where the other ones were kind of prayers of desperation. This is a psalm of praise. And what can we praise God for is that he is our ultimate hope. Everything he is and everything he's done that gives us ultimate hope in this life. So then let's go back to the New Testament. As we consider those psalms, just think those through. The psalmist understood that hope did not come in anything other than God himself. And in 1 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, we see Paul understands the same thing. 1 Timothy 1.1. 1, 1. This is a greeting that Paul has given as he writes to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, this is what we read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace to, from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. What does Paul call Jesus? He says, he's my hope. See, Jesus Christ doesn't just give us hope, he is our hope. See, once again, if we focus on our salvation, we focus on what Jesus has done for us and not Jesus himself, we're missing out. See, Jesus is our hope. It's himself, it's he, it's the Savior. He's our hope. It's not the benefits that we get from him. That's, that's not worshiping Jesus, that's worshiping benefits. It's Jesus is our hope. And Paul understood that. He says, look, in the name of the Lord Jesus, our hope. You see, as we look to God and we look to Jesus, the, he is our only hope. So as we face this world, we face the, the troubles, we face... All of this stuff. We run to Him because He is our hope. And that is what we really need to get through. As we look through Scripture, if you want hope, it doesn't come in anything other than Christ Himself. He has been given for us and we are in Him. And as a result, He is our hope. So if you are struggling for hope today, if you are struggling and you're saying, this world is just taking me for a ride that I don't like and I don't know, I have no hope. Look to Jesus. Go to Him. Run to Him and say, Jesus, I need You. You are my hope. Don't try to shroud it in finding ways that you can find hope by looking to the future and saying, well, heaven's here or this is there. You know, I, well, even if this happens in trying to make a plan. No, listen. 
Have hope in God. Hope in Him and know that He is doing what is right and He's doing what is good. That hope gives us all the peace we need in this world, this world that is so tumultuous. We need hope, and that comes through Jesus Himself. I'm going to ask three questions that I want you to consider before we sing our final song this morning. See, we have a present hope, a future hope, an eternal hope in God Himself. So my first question is going to be this. Do you have eternal life through a relationship with God through Jesus? I don't know where you are sitting here. As I've talked, you might say, I don't understand this hope because I don't even know Jesus. Well, you can't know hope if you don't know Jesus. You can't find hope unless you find Jesus. And Jesus isn't actually someone to be found. Honestly, he's finding you. Call out to him. Ask him for salvation. Ask him for hope. See, Jesus came, the creator of the world came down here to suffer as a man, to live as a man, to live a perfect life, to die for us a terrible, cruel death, to rise again to prove that he is over all sin and death. And now he calls you to himself and he says, look, come to me. Find hope in me and my resurrection, my love. That's the only way you can find true hope is commit yourself to me. If you want to know more how to, about how to do that, Talk to anyone here that you know knows Jesus as their Savior. We'd love to share it with you. Don't make today go by with no hope. If you want hope and you don't have Jesus, there's a reason. You need Jesus to have hope. Jesus is hope. Secondly, Christian today, if you're a Christian, is your life focused on knowing Jesus more? Are you still trying to find your hope in other things even though you're a Christian? You've accepted Jesus, you've committed your life to him, but yet you find yourself worrying more about money and worrying about the world's hope than you do about finding hope in him and him alone. That your world has become more about finding hope in life, whether that's status, whether that's money, whether that's whatever it might be. I'm not going to give you the list. You know what it is in your heart. Ask God to reveal that to you. Or are you focused on knowing Jesus? You see, if our life was truly focused on knowing Jesus, which is the essence of eternal life, that would change the way we do everything. It would change our choices. It would change our relationships. It would change the very way we think. It would change our routines. It would change every aspect of our life if our life was about knowing Jesus first and foremost above all else. The things of this world would pass away. These, the things of this world would be, become as rubbish, as dung to us, that we would pursue Christ knowing him leave all those things behind. Is that what your life looks like? And if it's not, repent, know Jesus, pursue him, focus on him. And finally, just an overarching question is this. Is your hope truly found in God and God alone? Kind of bleeds into what we just talked about. The only way to find hope in this life is to call upon him. Don't try to do it on your own. That's not what he created you for. Come to him. Even if you're already a Christian and you've just wandered away, come to him and say, Jesus, I want you. I need you. You're my only hope. So today I want you to consider those three things as we sing this last song once again that's going to be based on the hope that we have in Jesus uh, as our solid rock. So join me as we sing this last song and think about the hope we have in Jesus. Jesus.